L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules Today, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Night Call, a production of iHeartRadio. It's 10.23 p.m. in the Pine Barrens, and you're listening to Night Call. And welcome to Night Call, a podcast for your strange days and lonely nights. My name is Emily Yoshida. I am here in Los Angeles, and with me, as always, are Tess Lynch and Molly Lambert. We are super excited this week. We have a very special guest, Tom O'Neill, on to talk about his book, Chaos, um, a new book about the Manson murders and just CIA conspiracies and all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, that'll be in the second half of the show. But for right now, uh, I just wanted to like go around and do some recommendations, just like stuff we've been consuming. Um, I wanted to point everybody 
real quick to uh, criter- uh, the Criterion channel, which if you're not a subscriber, I would highly recommend it. And I am not being paid to say this. Um, they are doing a little spotlight on Susan Pitt, who I feel like is a very Night Call uh, approved animator. Um, she did a film, an animated film called Asparagus that used to screen in front of Eraserhead when it was um, on its like midnight movie run. She's just a very cool kind of psychedelic um, illustrator and animator, like doing stuff that's very kind of left to center when you think of the history of American animation, especially in the time she was working, which was like the 70s and 80s. Um, and yeah, they have a bunch of her short films on Criterion right now, so I would check it out. I saw her stuff for the first time at a weird bar in Tokyo, so I was like very turned on. What are they like? <laughs> I, I'm you've convinced me to subscribe to the Criterion channel, but oh, good. Oh, I haven't good. done it yet. Um so what's like what what is asparagus like? Uh it's very hard to describe. It's sort of there's a lot of asparagus, like kind of phallic asparagus. There's a whole sequence where like a woman basically like fillets an asparagus. Nice. Um it's just sort of kind of dreamy and sort of like free association like all these sort of shapes sort of melting into each other it's just like I, I don't know it's it you kind of have to just like watch it to understand it but it does have that very kind of groovy 70s kind of uh, zap comics-esque aesthetic and like texture and stuff to it so I, I can't give a better <laughs> explanation of it than that hey Emily what do you think of the Irishman <laughs> oh yeah I would definitely recommend watching the short films of Susan Pitt because they are short uh shorter than the Irishman <laughs> I saw the Irishman. You are totally week. immune to the charms of the Irishman. What charms? You were <laughs> you were confused. I wasn't confused. Well, you were I, like, what did everybody else? I like am about confused this? by the general reception to it, though. I do feel like the more people that see it, not to besmirch my former fellow critics, but I do feel like the more I talk to people who are not critics who have seen it the more I feel a little more, uh, you know, backed up in my kind of antipathy towards this movie. It's just so long. And it's funny because now it's become such a binary thing of either you're like pro Scorsese or you're like pro comic book movies. Like right. there's no in between. It's like No, the in between is Werner Herzog. That's true. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> said, he bridged the gap. Well, he's now, you know, part of the Star Wars universe. He's in so. the Star Wars universe, but he said he's never <laughs> seen any of the Star Wars movies nor any of John Favreau's movies. And he, he always doesn't has intend the to. same quote though. I don't believe him because he always has the same quote anytime people ask him about like pop cultural things that are older he's like i grew up in a tiny village in bavaria and i never saw any culture but that's so funny like what a good troll to say he says he never he's such a troll i mean he he is just doing i i I don't know her he claims he never heard music until he was 18 yeah (laughs) (laughs) like like, i'm pretty sure he gave me that exact same story when i interviewed him like it's just one of his it's like in his file of things that he says but um anyway he's i believe him that he's never seen star wars sure yeah but he also didn't he give some quote recently where he's like we have to pay attention to the kardashians like we must keep our eyes open to like all the horrors of our culture you know? wait really yeah well, he's not wrong though yeah no totally i mean that's i feel like that's our philosophy in general um yeah no uh, uh I, it's like i even liked like it's not that i'm not even a fan of of late period scorsese although i wasn't a fan of wolf of wall street like i actually saw silence somewhat recently because i didn't think i was gonna like it and i watched it and i was like 
it's great. He's a great filmmaker. Like, and uh, he's not my favorite by any stretch of the imagination, but this just feels like Netflix paid him a bunch of money to like play all the hits. Right. Um, wow. Silence, Stan. Emily, you're <laughs> Do not put that on my gravestone, please. Uh, that is not a defining personality trait of mine. But it was disappointing because it's not like I'm. I don't know. I was. I wanted it to be good. You I want to ask Tess now about a movie that she hasn't actually seen yet, but Great. I've been closely monitoring her opinions on already. Uh-huh. Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story. Oh my god! Oh guys, how did you know I'd have opinions on this? Did movie? you see it? No, of course I haven't seen it. Well, I put into the universe that it might be a Blue Valentine. I'm really upset because I reissued my very important Twitter poll asking if people's um, relationships had been destroyed right. by Blue Valentine. Yeah. yeah. They always lie. I mean, it's like I know the truth, and I people will email me using anonymous email addresses and tell me like my wife and I went on our first date to the right? movie about a relationship breaking up painfully. <laughs> oh my god! And guess what happened next? But um, Marriage Story, I am concerned it's going to have the same effect. I'm very concerned that anyone who sees a marriage story with their partner well, will immediately break up. Obviously, don't see Marriage Story with your partner. But isn't it right. worse to see it without in a way? But also, like, who sees movies like that except married couples on date? <laughs> well, soon it's going to be available on Netflix, so you'll just be able to beam it into your home and ruin your marriage from the inside. Well, I think the movie that we all actually want Marriage Story to be is Greenberg, which is a You know, great I've never movie. gotten into Greenberg, though, oh but my I thought, like, maybe I was, I was coming at it from a Greenberg place in my life good, where also, it was inaccessible. I was saying, like, Ben Stiller is a way better stand-in for Noah Baumbach than Adam Driver. Sure. Yeah. Well, now they both seem too young to be a stand-in for Noah Baumbach. Right. Like, like Ben Stiller is legitimately his contemporary, so it makes a little more sense. I love Greenberg so much. Speaking I'm going to give movies, it another I've, whirl. I've, I've, I wrote about Greenberg on Tumblr back in the day. Nice. <laughs> I was like, I am both characters in this movie. <laughs> Isn't that how everybody who loves it feels? Yeah, I used uh-huh. it as a verb a lot. Sort to of, Greenberg? I would say like, oh, they got Greenberged. Oh, nice. Uh, sort of what as- does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> You'll figure it out when you watch the movie. <laughs> but I've watched the movie. What does it mean? <laughs> I don't know. Like a, like an older man was annoying to you. <laughs> oh, oh, well, story of <laughs> Talk down to you. And uh, that's the Kaminsky and method. that is the Kaminsky that's, method. That's now what I say to everything. It always works. <laughs> um, I saw The Squid and the Whale when I was on a road trip. That's and we the were... rough one for me. See, I loved The Squid and the Whale. <sighs> yeah. I loved it. But I saw it. Um, on someone's ancient television in like, I don't even remember where we were. It might have even been in like a motel or something. And it was in black and white because the TV was a black and white TV. And I was like, what a fine film, beautifully shot in (laughs) black and white. And I only realized it was not shot in black and white, literally last week. Wow, really? And it's so weird when things like that happen where there's information that's so obvious and you've seen this, like, how did I miss it? How did I miss the, like... That's incredible. Yeah, it's like I've I've been living in a bubble. That's like mishearing a song lyric times a hundred. Exactly. But, like, of all the movies, like, he made Francis Ha in black and white, right? Hated Francis Ha, by the way. That's wild. Why? Hated Francis. Oh, my God. I also think I may not really take to Greta Gerwig. (gasps) Apologies. I try. I don't know what it is. The cinema of New York intellectuals is overrepresented. I that could be. We I don't mean, need any more Woody Allen movies. We also don't thing. even need the ones we have. Yeah. Well, well see, I never I, I was never into Woody Allen to begin with, so I'm just I feel saying, like I like, get a pass with what a, 
I guess it's just like if we like I understand where Scorsese is coming from. If we stop paying tribute to these things, they will fade out of the cultural memory. And that is like what should probably happen with a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it won't if people keep going like, ah, we have to make more fake Scorsese movies and fake Woody Allen movies because that is what we think is auteur movies are like. (sighs) I have a question that's not related to these things, but Molly had looked at Live Science, our favorite website, and found an article asking, should we splice human and water bear DNA for Martian travel? Mm. Should we? (laughs) What would a human water bear hybrid look like? Water bears look like faceless bears kind of if you really stretch like it bears they with look, a butthole for a face they they, a bu- yeah they have yeah. a butthole face for yeah. sure they kind of look like a like a flesh-colored centipede sure wiggling, would, wiggling would through the stars a human and a water bear cross look kind of like squidward is that right <laughs> like <laughs> so wait so so life science is just like posing this question they're just like hey i think what we we do what is normally done in science we see something interesting let's try it in mice first (laughs) i don't know that splicing mice with water bears is a good idea either water mice because then you'll have mice that live forever i mean it's good for mice you know mice have had it so rough for so long i think we owe it to mice i agree to give them immortality it's not their fault that they spread the plague like no they didn't make the plague I had a really, I had a snake and I had to feed it the baby mice and I still feel so bad about that. Like I know that the snake would have eaten the mice in the wild, but I but when you have to face it yourself, it's a whole other thing. It's a conundrum and I I have regrets. What are we talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Splicing water bears and mice, Emily. (laughs) Okay. Let's take a night call about a critter of the week. And it's technically a night email, but there has a new critter. That is very cute. Unlike some of the critters that we've covered on this podcast, this one is a winner. I, I actually really <laughs> like this critter. There have been some where everyone's like, did you see that? And I'm like, I don't, you know, it's it's not, it's my Adam Driver. Like, I don't care. But this one I do care about. So we have a night email from Colleen. Writing this from under the covers as I try to fall back asleep after being jarred awake from a faulty fire alarm scare at 2.55 a.m. That's another night call to be had. Came across this very exciting, scintillating discovery of this silver-backed chevrotain on camera in Vietnam, a.k.a. a mouse deer. They are rabbit-sized animals that, despite having mouse-like features, are not rodents. They're hooved. And most importantly, they have fangs? (laughs) And then she includes some links. Last seen alive in 1910. I think this is so cool, and I will now be kept awake looking at pics of extinct chevrotain. Chevrotain. It's it's tricky. Has there been any discussion on extinct animals and species you'd wish to encounter? Colleen. Thank you, Colleen. This chevrotan is cute. It's really cute. It's like like a more kawaii version of a deer. It's just like so little and... But fangs... I, I like that I deer with fangs. But where I I can't see the fangs in the photos, which we will link it's to. A little mouse but deer. It's very yeah. It's very uh, fetching. <laughs> I like its coloration. It, but I don't like how it looks like. I, I'm I'm not a fan of its stance. But it I'll, has, I'll let it fly because I like its ears. <laughs> it kind of is jackalopeish a little it's bit. It's totes jackalopeish. Yeah, but a little cuter. Do oh. you guys have extinct animals that you wish were not extinct anymore? Woolly mammoth. That was what I was going to say. Woolly mammoths are fun. They're so fun. Imagine if you were just like on a road trip. 
you know, in in I don't know the Great Plains, and you saw a woolly mammoth, just like a wild woolly mammoth hanging. Like that would be very exciting. I'll tell you what I would like. Those like really giant versions of things that are now small, like you know, there was like a beaver that was as big as oh, an right, elephant, right. things like that. Giant sloth. Yeah, I would be sc- beavers are not very friendly. I would be scared to see a giant beaver. <laughs> Were you scared during the full beaver moon? No, I charged. I was made fun of actually recently at dinner for charging my crystals and my tarot card deck under the beaver moon. What's it because <laughs> to get more powers under to make the beaver rain? Because you kept saying beaver moon. I love that well, Prince yeah. movie. Yeah, beaver. <laughs> <laughs> um. Under the beaver moon. Um, yeah, my husband brought it up in front of my parents, and I was like, "God, stop! They're oh going to think God. I'm so crazy." It's yeah. like, but I. Totally, I did it, and I guess I deserve to be called out. Um, my powers are increasing, however, and there's a slight chance of rain when we're recording this, and there may be rain next week. So, thank God for the Beaver Moon. Thank, thank God for the Beaver Moon. <laughs> Should we take a little ad break? Yeah. Let's do it. L A S I K LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula, berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules 
a day. Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Night Call. We're going to talk about something we've been talking about, wanting to talk about, for as long as we've been podcasting, The Sopranos. Tess, why don't you tell our listeners about your November tradition? Okay. Ten years ago, I started a tradition, and I haven't done it every year. I try to, but sometimes, you know, I'm just doing other stuff, as one does. But I try to start watching The Sopranos right before Thanksgiving, sometimes on Thanksgiving, from the beginning in previous years. I start with the pilot, and I work my way all the way through, and it usually – I can usually get it done by New Year's. Like, I'm, I'm really committed. But this year – I took last year off. I only dabbled. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched some. This year, I decided that I am going to watch it. Well, at first, I was like, I might just go with the the episodes I remember best and then go through all of the episodes in kind of a random order and see how that feels. But now I think having watched two of my favorite episodes, the finale, very divisive, obviously, (laughs) and Kennedy and Heidi, I think I might watch the finale that I just watched two days ago again and then go backwards through the Whoa. series. Wow. Yeah, I know. I'm crazy. I respect this. That's, Thank you. If you learn anything new from that, I, you should tell us immediately. That feels like, some, <laughs> I will. like li- yeah. listening to a record backwards. The clocks will start like spinning in reverse. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Twin Peaks remix. <laughs> it is. Um, it, it's really interesting when you start from a strange place in The Sopranos because it also kind of reminds you. I first saw The Sopranos um, when I was home. I think I might have been in college. And I was um, in Connecticut over winter break with my mom. And she was what she had just gotten really into The Sopranos. And it was like on HBO. And it was the Tracy episode, which is also one of my favorite episodes. And I was like, what is this? And I sat down and we just watched it kind of like it may have been in high school. But anyway, we, we were like watching it in silence and it was so awkward because the Tracy episode is like, I mean, they're all extremely violent, but it was very violent and like had a lot of Trace? boobs. Tracy has braces. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. That's like one of the most horrifying yeah. episodes. It's a horrifying episode, but it also, that's The Sopranos yeah. for you. That's, so. I think that's, mm, that might have been one of the first TV episodes that ever made me cry. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was the th- I mean, it was so yeah. effect like it, yeah. it was incredible. And I think she's actually a yoga teacher now. The actress Good who played Tracy. Her. Every so often I'm like, what's up with Tracy? The actress yeah. who played because she's an amazing actor. Like, yeah. She's so phenomenal. Yeah. And I don't think I'd seen her in anything else since then. Um, but yeah, Tess, your yearly viewing of The Sopranos made me be like, that's a good idea. I'm going to copy you. And then I started doing it, too. It's a really a great holiday ago. thing. Yeah. And it's just like I could watch it all the time. Uh, and now that we're like so far away from it in 
the oversaturated TV world, but like so few things are as good as that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I always just nothing think, is as good. Nothing is as good, but it's always weird to me to be like the first batch of shows that were prestige shows that I loved were all like not famous people and just really character driven yeah. and not super high budget. And now it feels like it's turned into movies where people are just like, whoever spends the most is going to win. Yep. Which yeah. also isn't proving to be true. And that's one of the things I'm really stoked about. Elena Smith's show Dickinson doing so well is that it is mm-hmm. a very specific vision by mm-hmm. a specific person. Yeah. Which is also what The Sopranos has going for it's it. Also, you're, you guys are going to murder me for saying this, but like I did watch, I, I actually started watching Sopranos a couple months ago and just like watched about, I think I watched the first season or maybe I didn't get through the entire first season. But like one thing that I was struck by, because I haven't watched it, rewatched it nearly as much as you guys, but. Man, you don't have to go back too far for this, but Sopranos is a great example of it. TV shows that are actually shot on film. (laughs) There is like a nice feeling there. And you can you can you can taste the difference. I mean it's true. It's also like it makes New Jersey look like the most beautiful place in the world. And New Jersey is beautiful and it's Mm. weird. I I was always trying to convince my folks to move to New Jersey because I was like, it's so cool because you could just go into New York and then you get to be in beautiful New Jersey. (laughs) And they just like relentlessly made fun of me because they were like, Yeah, you you just can't even you can't say that yeah it's like but it is it's very beautiful in new jersey it's just across the river but it's a thousand miles away (laughs) it's true um Um, but yeah we i'm gonna force emily and molly to be watching more sopranos throughout the next couple of months um but i did want to recommend if you are just wanting to watch a single episode i'm gonna make them recommend which ones they love the most but i'm i'm gonna stand for kennedy and heidi as one of my favorite episodes it's the 83rd i believe episode so it's in the sixth season um but it's great for a number of reasons it's a lot happens uh and yeah what happened i jog my memory because it's been a way long time since i watched the sixth season of the sopranos okay spoiler alert Go away if you if you don't know anything about The Sopranos. Go away. It is comfortably numb is playing in the car uh-huh. with Tony and Christopher when Kennedy and Heidi are two teens and they just are in this. It's titled Kennedy and Heidi, but they're just like two teenagers on their learner's permit driving at night. And you see them for a brief second. They're having a conversation at which point. Christopher is driving the car. He swerves to avoid them. The car rolls over mm-hmm. and then. Something else happens that I just can't bring myself to spoil. It's such an interesting one for you to be like, watch the climactic point of the series. Well, I don't know if you should, if you haven't ever seen The Sopranos, obviously you have to start from the pilot and work your way through. But if you've seen The Sopranos and you want to like dip back back in, I, there's also because, so Paul, you know, Polly's adopted mother has recently passed away. She's having a dueling funeral with another main character who has also died. I feel like there are no bad episodes. There are no bad episodes. But also, I think in Kennedy and Heidi, the cat who stares at um, a picture and meows a lot, I think that that, or maybe that's in the finale, but that was like another one of my favorite elements is like the animals who are reincarnations of people who have passed. Oh, yeah. Um, Yes. So anyway, we are all going to be watching The Sopranos for months and months, and you are invited to join. And if you have thoughts about The Sopranos, give us a call at 24046-NIGHT. I think I know which one I'm going to rewatch. Which one? Which I don't think is a good episode. Well, I picked a weird up. Ep- I did Mr. Ruggiero's Neighborhood, which is the season three opener, which is like about the FBI bugging the house. Uh, 
as a framing device, so it's like only intermittently about any of the main characters. But it features one of my favorite moments of the whole show, which is Tony singing Dirty Work by Steely Dan alone in his car. <laughs> it's just like a 10-second yep. cutaway. <laughs> it's one of the best parts of the show. And I watched things around The Sopranos, like The Matrix, which co-stars Joe Pantoliano. Right, of course. And the movie Fallen, which uh, co-stars uh, James Gandolfini and Aida Turturro as Oh, God, I love Janice. The other, another really good one is the Janice under the boardwalk thing. But we'll, yeah, I'll get into that later. Emily, what were you going to, which one were you going to start with? I don't know the title of the episode off the top of my head, but it's the one where um, Christopher's going to write a movie. Oh, yes. I just remember that the (laughs) closing credits on that are um, Cake, Frank Sinatra, and... For some reason, that like stuck in my head. I thought that was like the most epic, like black cut to credits that I had ever seen. They were very good. They were so good. That was one of their their finest little flares. Also, a fine song by Cake. (laughs) Oh, great song! Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Put it on many a mix CD. Yeah. (laughs) Before we wrap up the Sopranos um, segment, we did get a night text. I believe I don't know that our night texter gave a name, but they say, "Hey, night call." Just wanted to share that people always forget that Polly's car horn is the theme from The Godfather, and that's one of my favorite small things mm-hmm. on the show. Mm-hmm. Is that that's a and that's a real car horn? Like that's a that's a thing you. Oh, you can get a car yeah. horn that does a song. Yeah, yeah. I hear there's a La Cucaracha one you hear sometimes. Well, yeah, yeah, that one's that one's very common out here. But I feel like I've heard the Godfather one in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, we're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be talking with Tom O'Neill, our guest this week. L-A-S-I-K LASIK.com Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? 
Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula, berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Joining us now is author Tom O'Neill, author of the book Chaos, Charles Manson, The CIA, and the Secret History of the 60s with co-author Dan Pipenbring. <laughs> Pipenbring, yeah. Pipenbring. Welcome, Tom. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for taking us on this journey. Yeah. People were suggesting Chaos to us before we even picked it as a book club book because they were like, you just should talk about this book on your show because you talk about all the things in it anyway. And then we all just crunched it. Mm-hmm. I think you guys crunched it. You finished it today, perhaps? We, we went on a spree. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So this is our book club pick um, this month for our Patreon. And Molly had already read it. She's been on a Manson journey um, oh and a Laurel Canyon journey also. Mm-hmm. So she had read the book, but then Emily and I had about two weeks. So in a way, it worked out really well because mm-hmm. we too became very obsessed. Yeah. Wow. We had no choice. I feel horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I'm responsible, but... No, it was great. I, we all, I think, highly recommend. Yeah. This oh, is a good. very night call book, and it's it's super readable. Uh, um, but it also leaves you feeling so confused yeah, <laughs> about yeah, everything sorry, you sorry. think you know. Yeah. Uh, but so, yeah, tell us, I mean, just for readers who haven't, aren't familiar with the book yet, if you just, like, give us... <laughs> We were saying this is probably hard, uh, but the elevator pitch yeah. on this massive book about conspiracies and, you know, graph charts and everything else that you put together. Well, it did, didn't begin as a conspiracy book. It mm-hmm. began as a magazine assignment that was supposed to commemorate the then 30th anniversary of the crimes in 99. And I was just looking at different ways to make that story interesting because it had been written to death, obviously. And I didn't even want to do it, but I took it. And the kind of elevator pitch is I went down a rabbit hole and never got out for years. <laughs> 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. A thousand interviews? We said a thousand because we decided if I told the true number, I'd look even more crazy. <laughs> and it's also how do you define an interview? Is it like a, so many people hung up on me or shut doors in my face, but I get one sentence from them before. Right. But multiple thousands, you know. Um, People that I returned to and interviewed again and again uh, who agreed to talk, it almost got into a thousand probably. But the one hits or some of them, uh, yeah, they weren't the 
pleasantest ones. And there's so much that didn't end up in the book. But what happened was I found out that the prosecutor, Vincent Bugliosi, who became famous uh, at the trial and with his book, Helter Skelter, which to this day is the number one true, best-selling true crime book of all time, Let's say he cut some corners. Uh, that's a polite way, but the true way is he, he suborned perjury during the during the case and uh, hid evidence, fabricated evidence, manipulated witnesses, threatened people, etc. And when I found that out in the beginning, like in the first year, that's when things started taking a lot of detours, and I started uncovering other stuff connected to other historical events, and found out that there was a good possibility that there were darker forces at work than just a crazy, quote-unquote, hippie guy who yeah. was telling his followers what to do for him. That might explain it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think one of the things that sets this book apart is how much your voice and your own skepticism about what you're reporting comes through. And just, you know, by the time you're starting to get into the JFK assassination, oh, yeah. you're even in, in, you're at, in the moment, you're like, oh, God, I'm getting yeah. into the JFK assassination now. <laughs> yeah. It just has this thing of, like, you know, you can see, you know, the next year of reporting or more. There's yeah. a relatability, too, for us all. We've all done some interviewing. Just the idea of getting addicted to interviewing people. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Obsessed with just sort of the like, reporting. Yeah, is. getting addicted to the reporting especially when you're like a freelance journalist doing celebrity interviews as some of us also may have been (laughs) (laughs) trying to like do something more important you're like oh i gotta like that's gonna be the thing that's gonna get me out of this yeah 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 exactly so you also got your hair cut three times just to (laughs) interview a source yeah yeah Uh, one of the stylists to the stars little joe who charged a lot of money but my magazine which doesn't exist anymore i think i put them out of business too uh (laughs) premiere was a monthly film magazine They, they were the ones that assigned it i had an expense account so i told them before i you know I always would take people for meals and stuff like that, but that seemed a lot. It was a hundred bucks. This is also <laughs> like you're telling tales of like a land far away that none of us have ever oh, seen. Yeah, it you have exist expensive yeah. tell of oh, yeah, where the magazines give you a budget and they're like, oh, take yeah. as long as you want. Yeah, it was well, they didn't. Well, they did in this case, but it wasn't. You hit the wall. Eventually. It was an anomaly yeah, yeah. That, that they let me do that because I got the editor in chiefs as obsessed as I was yeah. and as desperate to get out of, I think, entertainment journalism because he really believed believed in the story. Yeah. But the expense account that I got from Premier, I ended up having to reimburse them for all those $100 haircuts and everything yeah. else really? when the whole thing fell apart. Oh, my yeah. God. Well, I'm still <laughs> kind of in the process of reimbursing. <laughs> but who do you pay? There's no Premier anymore. <laughs> That's Actually, we'll talk about that when the virus is complicated. Yeah. At what point did you become obsessed enough and have enough information that was new that you could get your editor-in-chief to agree that this was worth Really, just a couple months in. Really? I had some big breaks a couple months in, but then, you know, stuff would kind of level off, and then something else would happen. It was a magazine story for almost two years, I think 18 months. After I missed the first three-month deadline, Jim, the editor-in-chief who believed in this, and really, I wouldn't be sitting here now if he hadn't, uh, he just gave me an open contract. He paid me monthly to keep reporting, so I would report back to him every month or two. And, you know, we blew the 30th anniversary deadline in the beginning, and it wasn't until he got fired from the corporate owners for 
let's say, probably the story <laughs> uh, that the new guy came in and said, we want it in a month or two. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I obtained a book agent. And I said, I, I can't report this stuff now because I'm giving too much away without the answers. Yeah. So give me another couple of years, get me a book deal, and then we'll reimburse Premier. And he said, I can get you out of your obligation to them, but later we'll have to resolve that. Yeah. Later's now. <laughs> <laughs> So this was originally supposed to be, as you said, a 30th anniversary story, and now it's a 50th anniversary story. Yeah. And so, you know, it being an anniversary year of the Tate LaBianca murders and um, the trial and everything, you know, it's it's been very much in the air. Uh, yeah. Your book is a part of a bunch of stuff that's been a in the culture. A whole movie came out about it. A whole yep. movie. <laughs> no, no, um, only the last fifth of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that reading your book really put that movie in a new light for me of like it being just such a fairy tale, uh, especially with regards to just Sharon and what was going on with her personally at the time. Yeah, yeah, woman. made a lot of sense to me, you know, that the maybe a pregnant woman wouldn't want to be living at like a party house. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, especially um, with that kind of, there was violence up at that house. Yeah, yeah. but even yeah. I feel like in some of the other books, like I've been reading The Family by Ed Sanders as well, just that, mm-hmm. you know, they sort of gloss over that aspect of it more because yeah. Polanski was still sort of playing the the grieving husband for yeah. a long time. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's been other things about Polanski that have yeah. come out. I feel like a lot of it is a sort of armchair psychology that everybody has about Roman Polanski just being this like extraordinarily fucked up person who had a lot of fucked up stuff happen to him, but also obviously did a lot of fucked up stuff and, you know, wanting to understand him as a victim in that in that moment just because it was so horrific. Yeah. But, you know, it's obviously so much more complicated. Yeah. Than and that. that moment where it's like, oh, it wasn't the end of the innocence because like a lot the of innocence, really. Yeah, it was already, yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of really fucked up things What's were interesting about the Sharon and Roman stuff is is um, the UK publishers, which was Penguin Random House, ironically the same company that um, sued me when I didn't deliver, when it became a book deal, this is all in the book if your Uh listeners read it, Uh, about seven years into that deal, the same thing happened. The publisher pulled the plug on it, canceled the project, and that was devastating. And then they sued me for a return of the advance, which was horrible. But um, when we sold it, in 2017 uh, to Little Brown, Penguin, actually the same publisher who had sued me, and that had taken two years to resolve, were the first ones to make an offer for, it didn't make any oh sense. I thought I was being gaslit. <laughs> that was <Yeah>. total gaslighting. <laughs> and they offered exactly as much as Little Brown did. And I said to my agent, I can't even consider this unless they offer more as a sign of good faith. And he, he said, that's reasonable. He said, how much more? And I said, don't tell them, but I'd be even happy with five or ten grand. Just, you know, something symbolic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't even do that. <laughs> wow, and uh, I told them to go to hell. <laughs> so then their UK branch bought the UK rights of mm-hmm. this, you know, uh, so they published it there. And the only thing their lawyers had a problem with in the book, and it was a serious problem, was everything about Roman mistreating Sharon. Wow. And, really? Yeah. So... Well, I think I hate seen, to admit I, this. Yeah, I had to, you know, I had yeah. to give in to the lawyers over there. The libel laws are much stronger, and he successfully right. sued Vanity Fair. Well, I think we've seen also that one of the ways that people keep stories like that out of the press is by being like, "Well, it's unprovable." You mm-hmm. know, like how, right. how did Weinstein keep anyone from reporting on that? On his, you know, being a rapist for so long, it's because they would go after anyone 
who intimated anything being like, yeah. you can't mm -hmm. yeah. But that say also this seems so futile because even as recently as last week, there was another rape allegation against right. Roman Polanski. I know. So they're like, yeah, I got in touch. A woman got in touch with me. A lot of people that are kind of crazy get in touch with me since the book has come out. And this woman sounds legit. <laughs> She's gotten some press. She says she was raped by him in Hollywood when she was, I think, 15. And... You know, she's been sending me stuff. I, I get a lot of that, but, you know, they were so scared of him over there that I'll tell all of your people if they're in, I don't know if you have listeners in the UK, try to get the United States version. <laughs> oh, yeah. If they read Polish, even the Poland version, which is, you know, his home country, yeah. and we sold that quickly too, the, the rights. They didn't ask for any changes, just wow. the UK. I'm also yeah. shocked the UK libel laws are hard because I feel like they publish crazy things. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, you yeah, have the tabloids. Yeah, yeah so. the tabloids are insane there. But huh. that was a compromise I had to make. So if your listeners are going to get the book and they're in the UK, I don't know how easy it is to buy a, an American version on Amazon. I mean, I imagine it's just more shipping yeah. fees. Right. Yeah. Get that one. <laughs> Maybe you can download the American version. And give it away for free. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of lawsuits, how many? So I know like Bugliosi threatened you with mm -hmm. what a hundred million dollar lawsuit. That <laughs> he, right? Well, for, he, that was one figure he yeah. threw out, but he basically <laughs> said you'll be working for me the rest of your life. And to Penguin, who were still my was still my publisher then, he said I will own your company and every profit any of your books made in per perpetuity. My family will if you publish this man's book. So, um, yeah, he was trying to scare me. But. I would like to corroborate that uh, Bugliosi is a crank, according to a friend of mine who worked at the Lemley Pasadena. Oh, I love these stories. And he said Bugliosi would come in and like throw a fit at the staff and be like, don't you know who I am? Really? Yeah, like all the time and be like, read Voltaire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Lord. Just he was mentally ill. I, I truly yeah. believe yeah. he was yeah. mentally ill. Well, all, well, all the stuff about, you know, all, everything that came out when he, what was he running for? for uh, DA, for a, yeah. he, there were two different yeah, and uh, cases he was involved in, and, and he was running for office. I mean, he was kind of like Trump is now. I mean, he yeah. was just fearful of repercussions yeah. and thought he was above the law. And the milkman case and the mistress case both really were the reasons he... He might not have won anyway because everybody in Los Angeles, especially in, in law enforcement at the DA's office, knew he was crazy. Right. He was only there, uh, people don't understand that, he was only there like six years. He left as soon as he finished this case because he wanted to be more famous. But uh, Buck Compton, who was a famous, uh, oh, I forget what they call it, managing DA's guy who assigns the attorneys, mm -hmm. I interviewed him. And he said it was the biggest mistake in my career to assign that case to Vince. He said, <laughs> wow. I created that monster. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think what you do find as a new angle about the case is you really address the sort of police corruption yeah. and uh, yeah. sort of the, and as well just sort of the general incompetency of the LAPD is one of the well, things. Well, that's what I was always trying to balance. Yeah. Is it incompetence yeah. or is it deliberate? Right. And I had this one retired DA, Lou Watnick, who told me this, and it was so important at that stage of my reporting. He said, you know, I'm looking at this. I had shown him Manson's federal parole file where he kept getting yeah. arrested, released, arrested, released. And uh, I had gotten that through a lot of Freedom of Information Act requests. It took me like two years to get it all. I brought it to him. And he, he was literally dying. Of, I can't remember what the disease was, but he was on a respirator and he's wheezing and he's like, chicken shit, this is all chicken shit. 
Like, no. what do you mean, Mr. Watnick? He goes, well, you know, this can sometimes be explained by incompetence, but this was intentional. They were yeah. releasing him when they should have not only violated his parole, convicted him, then sent him back with the new, new years added on. Yeah, and when you sort of make that connection of like, well, like the LAPD would probably be stoked if people were doing crimes in the name of white supremacy, because that's also what they're <laughs> that's doing. in there, yeah. You know, yeah. so when you get to the part about the setup of the, the LA Panthers, Black Panthers yeah. and yeah. just... Yeah. You know, you really frame it in this great way because I think the 60s, it's like the cool people are always very overrepresented and the idea that everybody was like, you know, with it and progressive. It's like, no, a lot of people were super square yeah. Yeah. and yeah. they wanted to crush whatever yeah. else was happening. I guess Tarantino kind of got that in his movie Definitely. because Leo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt's character yeah. were old Hollywood, right. kind of Ronald Reagan-ish. I, just, I wrote the intro for this Eve Babbitt's book, and she wrote this uh, piece about The Godfather, and in it there's this quote where she's like, everybody in L.A. wants guys who look like Al Pacino because in L.A., like guys who look like Brad Pitt are everywhere and they pump your gas. <laughs> and I was Eve like, Babbitt that's, said that? Or, yeah, yeah. No, that's I was fantastic. like, that's exactly what that movie gets right. Yeah. yeah. I want her to read my book. I should have <laughs> gone to her for a blurb. She's great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, that was probably the section of the book where I started to go galaxy mind, the whole section <laughs> about the sheriff's office and uh, and all this, you know, repeated uh, opportunities that people had to, to put Manson in jail between the parole. Uh, and the surveillance they had on the ranch. Right. Yeah. I mean, I found yeah. a document showing that they knew he was coming back from the Bay Area mm -hmm. the day that Sharon Tate was killed yeah. with this runaway girl. Yeah. And all that was correct, except that he was really coming back from Big Sur, which was just a little bit below mm -hmm. the Bay Area. But all that stuff was suppressed yeah. and not shared with the defense. And, and one thing that always bugged me about the case was I was like, how could they squat on this land for so long yeah. without anyone getting mad? Because like one thing I know about unoccupied land in Los Angeles is like <laughs> people get fucking furious they get yeah. steamed occupy it and you're not allowed to well also I mean they, they had visited so many times and he was on parole and they knew that he had like an arsenal yeah it's just yeah. absolutely nuts yeah. underage girls drugs a machine gun yeah uh, and when the cops or sheriffs would come on to Spawn Ranch he threatened their lives yeah and he said when he lost uh, the ammunition for I forget what it's called the banana clips for a machine gun fell off a doom buggy he told the cops he wanted it back he called them he's on federal parole I mean it, nothing made sense yeah. Yeah. And that's a famous line of Manson's is no sense makes sense. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, like putting it in the context of all these other sort of operations that were going on at the time to discredit the counterculture and mm -hmm. student protests and activism and the Black Panthers and all of that. It makes, you know, I would I would hesitate to say like your thesis, because I think there are still like, I think there are many questions that are left open at the end of the book. But in general, the premise that like it would be very possible if one wanted to at this time to create an example out of somebody yeah. like a Manson like figure mm -hmm. um, to, you know, spook everybody out of the out of the 60s, basically. Right. Um, and it, it it doesn't feel far fetched when you look at stuff that's actually on the record that happened yeah. around that time. And you do a great job of building it, of being like, Thank OK, you. here's the yeah. first thing that like kind of didn't seem right. And I went into it more and like found all these bugs under the rock, you know, yeah. so that by the time you get to like, here's the JFK assassination. Well, that was yeah. I didn't sound as crazy, <laughs> just half say, crazy. You say, like, yeah. go with me here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think because you're coming at it, like, you're not a true crime person you yeah. know, by nature. And that's, that was the hardest part of the book, yeah. was trying to figure out the structure. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where I got gifted with a fantastic collaborator, this young guy, Dan, mm-hmm. who now has a best-selling book with Prince out. He, he, he wrote with yeah, Prince, the beautiful yeah. ones. He wrote that and, great thing about writing that thing with Prince. About yeah, that's like a prologue yeah. to the book. Yeah, uh, I mean, he, I got him, Dan, because Prince died. Mm. So, you know, everything got halted yeah. because the family was dealing, I don't want to say fighting. He says, don't say fighting. They're not, but they were fighting over the estate yeah. and the book got fro- stopped. So he had probably, he thought a year or two years. I'm like, oh, Dan, it took me 20. It's going to take us five to write it. <laughs> and he was just so kind of self-possessed and not in an arrogant way. He said, we'll figure out how to do it in a year or two. Yeah. And he helped me with all. I couldn't have done it without him because yeah. I had lost my... Well, you need someone to come in at a certain point and yeah. organize the files for you yeah, so that you yeah. can... And tell me what... I mean, because I lost perspective on what was most important what wasn't. We still do. We're talking about possibly doing um, a second book. And I was telling you guys earlier, there might be a podcast. So, I mean, there's so much stuff that yeah. I do want to get out there into the world that's sitting right now in drawers. But... Yeah. At least I got this much because there was a, a lot of years that I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to get run over by a bus. <laughs> my family's going to not – I told them, you know, what's important, what's not, but there's too much that they're just going to say, all right, crazy brother died. <laughs> Put it in a dumpster you, get rid of did it. Did you become paranoid while you were working on it? I never really be- – I mean, people – everybody asks me that. Does it infect you with the paranoia of the <laughs> The case? only thing I was really frightened of – I mean, in the first couple of years, the drug guys that I was investigating, who were the big dealers at the time, yeah. they were making some pretty serious threats. But I kept thinking, and you know, one of them, I have a scene in the book. Oh, right. I took him to Coco's for lunch right, or yes. someplace. <laughs> and he's, you know, he's in a wheelchair and I have to lift him. Yeah. Charlie Taco. And he's, you know, he used to be a very big, strong man, but he was 80 and dying. And he's threatening me while I'm putting him from my car to the wheelchair. Yeah. I will fucking kill you, O'Neill, if you're right. This. And I go, Charlie, I could just drop you in the parking yeah, lot yeah. and drive away. You can't and kill me. And you reach me. that point, too, where you're like, I realized that when someone said they were going to kill me or sue me, that meant like, I had gotten something. Oh, yeah, man, you were, yeah. But Vince scared me. I mean, some yeah. of the stuff I learned that he had done, and as I learn it, I hope it comes out in the book, I started realizing I wasn't dealing just with somebody who was possibly... First, I thought I was dealing with someone that just wanted to make a lot more money by having a more sensational case. Then I realized it was something much more sinister mm-hmm. than that yeah. and dark. And then I saw what he did to other people who had caught him in stuff. I mean, he went full-on attack, again, like Trump kind of does. Well, you make the parallels just, between him and Manson, too, that they were the same uh, age. Yeah. I, I, yeah which is crazy. And I that, could never decide who was crazy. Well, that they were both, like, <laughs> what were they, like, 34? 30, well, you know? like, yeah. 32, 33, I think, when the trial started. Yeah, yeah. But, but they were that, born the same year. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was just such a different version of, like, I know. you know... Yeah, but just that violent male ego. Yeah. yeah. The same you kind of have to be a sociopath to be either a cult leader or district attorney. Right. <laughs> yeah. True, yeah. You know? Yeah. Was there any point at which you just wanted to stop? Yeah, like every other day. Like, okay. yeah. <laughs> at one point you describe you had hundred and ninety, I think, binders in your mm-hmm. apartment and a whiteboard with the word Manson in the middle and then lines oh, yeah. going out. I thought it was very brave of you to put that like in the photo section in the book. Yes. I you know, my Dan went through some of my personal pictures. He said, I want a progression of photos from you aging through this. Yeah. And he said, I want to see, do you have a picture of the whiteboard? And I said, I've got it, like, I think just the first year. So you don't see it with, like, 
20 pages of paper tacked up <laughs> around the whiteboard, you know, beyond the perimeter. And I, you know, I just said, you know what, I want to be, that's what happened. I created a whiteboard as part of the story. Yeah, we'll put it in. So, um, but yeah, I used to, I never once, I think, seriously considered stopping. Mm -hmm. But I would think, what if? And then I just thought, how can I get out of bed? I would have wasted how right. many years at you that point. You were just point. in too deep. Yeah. And it wasn't just that. I also wanted people to be accountable. You yeah. know, I wanted to report what I found to set, I know it sounds real presumptuous, but to set the record straight well, about. you're also chasing people before they die. Yeah. It's like, yeah. that's kind of the thing about the 50th anniversary is you're like, I got to get these people while they're still alive. Yeah. And then at the end, you're like, I have all this evidence. Like, does it mean anything? Yeah. yeah. All the people that could have been held accountable are dead. I know. Uh, a lot of people have accused me. I mean, there's a lot of people who are not happy with this book. The Manson blog people? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. The Manson <laughs> yeah. blog was, people, internet people, that. but also people who uh, are part of Vince's world. Yeah. He doesn't have a lot of defenders, but I've had some serious <laughs> they've, they've come weird the threats. And I know this person really is a member of the family because I, I said in one response, and I know I'm not supposed to respond, but I'm like, you have to be Vince's relative because you're, you, the threats are identical to his. Right. They're just That's as funny, crazy. too, because when you said he was a member of the family, I was like, which one? Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, the story, like, you know, we, uh, we're friends with Karina Longworth, who did the, yeah, um, sure. the, the podcast. I mean, you must remember this uh, series on Charlie Manson. And I, I think, like... It, it, to, in her series and a lot of stuff that we've read, like this is really understood as has been understood historically as like a Hollywood story, as yeah. like a Hollywood crime story. And obviously, your book goes into how it goes a lot further than that. Yeah. I mean, it's maybe it's a California story. Yeah, but it's definitely a California, definitely a California story. story. But I kind of wonder, like having gone through all this reporting and having talked to all these people and gotten such a kind of cross section of like all these different places that people were at in the culture in this time period and like since then can you still even think of it as a hollywood story or is it no nah, transcended that no nah, i mean it kind of ruined me for having any kind of perspective on it as something that just wasn't so sinister and deep even if i couldn't prove or, or if i could only present a circumstantial case but it made me lose such faith and like stuff that I used. I, I was never naive. I've always been kind of you know raised by lefty parents and, um, but, but I, and I always was a little bit careful about um, authority. But at this point now, I feel like I don't trust cops. I don't right. trust mm -hmm. the judicial system. Mm -hmm. I don't it's trust the federal. It's kind of freeing in a way, though. <laughs> I guess it is. Yeah, yeah. Once you realize, I mean, you know, we were talking about the DA earlier. Like the current DA of LA, like hasn't prosecuted any cops who've murdered anybody yeah, for yeah. like a decade or something insane. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, if you put your trust in those systems to sort of, de and you really do a good job also of talking about the connections between the LAPD and the LA Times. Yeah, which was, yeah, yeah. Again, something I would have. Suspect, you know, once you said it, I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and there was more there, too. I wish. Well, the LA Times, yeah. too. I started looking into, like, the guy who founded the LA Times, this guy Otis, was Chandler, like a total yeah. Yeah. Citizen Kane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he was like hated. a Hearst. I mean, yeah. he published whatever served his interests. And he hated communists oh, and yeah, anarchists yeah. and just Well, the power structure in Los Angeles in the late 60s was him at the LA Times uh, Yordi, who was a very right-wing mayor, Reagan, who was the governor, and um, uh, Nixon became president in January. I mean, he was elected in the, in the fall, but he was inaugurated in January of 69. And Evel Younger, the DA who was in charge of the 
case, you know, mm-hmm. Vince was working for him, was an ex-OSS guy, which is what the CIA evolved out of. He was a spy and FBI. And not that that makes him automatically, you know, suspicious, but when you look at everything else I lay out about yeah. what was hidden and all that, he had to be part, like the center of that wheel. Maybe yeah. I'm the only person to take an optimistic viewpoint away from this book. <laughs> <laughs> but like, given all the effort they did put into trying to crush leftism and crush counterculture in Los Angeles, like to me, the fact that it always comes back in some way, mm-hmm. you know, that you yeah. can't crush it. You yeah. can't crush like diversity. That's the reason to be optimistic. Yeah. I guess. yeah. yeah. And I'm from L.A., so I have a, a oh, you're born interest and raised in defending it against being like, well, I was also like it was satisfying to me because there's so many like apocalypse day of the locust narratives about LA right, including right. the Manson murders yeah. to be like no this was a like a government engineered yeah yeah yeah, yeah. this uh, was not like something that was born out of yeah here yeah. Yeah. and like then I can blame Washington DC <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing that I like was the most paranoid about after reading this book was just the idea of like what if everybody who ever runs for any office is just like being planted there, like a retired well, CIA I read person. another book <laughs> after this because I definitely kept going down the hole. I read Weird Scenes in the Canyon. I got to be careful with that, well, Dave that McGowan. One, <laughs> that one was like fascinating because that one was like, I was like, okay, this is too crazy for yeah, me. But yeah. also that I would like fact check things and they'd be true, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. But he's the person who thinks like everybody's in the CIA. Everybody's right. parent was an intelligence, yeah. so they have to be an intelligence. But intelli- then he like makes the first point he makes is like Jim Morrison's dad's started vietnam and it turns out to be true like his mm. dad was the navy officer who what uh i don't know if the, i knew that or if i, I did, did i might have forgotten that's the first it. point he said he's like oh yes jim morrison's dad was the navy officer in the gulf of tonkin and there's a picture of jim morrison like with him as a kid on a boat and oh, no, that's true that don't wow. send me down on another rabbit yeah. <laughs> well i was gonna say so now that this book is out and then you're talking about kind of how to adapt it and what's next in that do you have any desire to look into a new mystery well i mean i left substantial reporting about the rfk assassination Mm -hmm. by sirhan and obviously if people have read the book you see there are parallels and not only that it was literally a a year and like two months before the tate labianca murder same city same da's same cops uh and i found out a lot of really important Mm -hmm. information and at one point it was going to be part of the book and then we finally decided. So that book, I think, is 500 and some pages. Mm-hmm. Little Brown, the contract, only wanted less than 300 because it's hard to sell <laughs> a book. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I know. I don't think they knew who they were dealing with. But they were great. I mean, when we got to, uh, I think, about 450 or something or 460, I was so pleased then I had to do the end notes, and mm-hmm. they said, we'll give you about 10 pages. And I said, no, 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 I need like 100. And they said, are you crazy? We gave you an extra 150. So I ended up getting, Index I did 120 pages. We got it to 60 of end notes at the back. Yeah. And that's the most important part of the book to me because it shows all my sourcing that, yeah. Yeah. and, you know, the depth of it. But um, the RFK, Sirhan stuff, that could be a book in and of itself. And there's other stuff that... I did find out connected to the same scene in Hollywood in 69 that ended up not having any relevance or mm-hmm. connection, mm-hmm. but I found out some amazing singular, like standalone stories. Yeah, some of the dead ends are the most interesting parts. I know, yeah. I know. And so I just I'm deciding... love all that driving around LA. Yeah. 
you know, and the outskirts. Yeah. Yeah, It's very cinematic and it's like the book is cinematic because it's framed that way. It's like, okay, now I got to drive to the valley. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Drive to Death Santa Monica rooftop. Yeah. 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 It's very like a Raymond Chandler novel. Oh, I, I thought, like yeah. that. That's yeah. a nice comparison. The, the, <laughs> the guy who's doing the adaptation for the yeah. movie spent about a week with me about a month ago. And I said, oh, my God, you're going to have a nervous breakdown, too. And he said, I just, I don't care. This, we're not supposed to say this, but I don't care. No, I wanted it to be a limited series. We sold it to Amazon, and they wanted it to be a feature film. Mm-hmm. And this guy is a big deal. And he's like, but I don't know how to you know, compress this story. 20 years into two hours yeah and i said well that's my life i mean that's what <laughs> told me. I, I didn't know how to do it in the book and now you're trying to figure it out yeah i wanted it to be like a limited series and i actually think he's at the end of the week he had a, a good angle on it but now i have to wait and see the yeah. first draft and i'm a little nervous about that well, we but talk about zodiac a lot too it's like the movie or? yeah yeah, the yeah. Movie. yeah. yeah. a lot like... of people say that um I guess his obsession, the, was it the, I can't remember now if it was a cop or the journalist. It's I the journalist, but also yeah. it's the same thing where it, like, it drives everybody to yeah. madness. Well, it's contagious. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. once you start to realize <laughs> that this is true, then all of a sudden I know. nothing yeah. else I know. lines starts up. Unraveling. And, Tom, um, Tom, what do you do to decompress? What do you watch in your off time when you were doing this? Uh, I drank a lot. <laughs> I had like really bad, you know, bad partners, <laughs> anything that could really be dramatic enough to make me not think about it for a yeah. few hours. Um, what do I watch like on in movies and TV? Yeah. I kind of like detective uh, drama yeah. stuff. I mostly only watch streaming now because I need to see stuff that seems as real. I mean, I finally started watching Succession. Oh. Yeah. So uh-huh. I'm actually got like. I'm going to Death Valley tomorrow. I've never been to the Barker Ranch where they were captured. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. And the cop, if you get near the end of the book, Paul Dusty was a cadaver dog cop who mm-hmm. thinks he has sites in the in, around the two ranches. He's been trying to get me to go there for 10 years, and I finally agreed to go tomorrow. So I'm going to go for two or three days. But I'm, and I'm supposed to go out tonight, but I'm like, how am I not going to? I'm not going to finish Succession. I've got to see the last couple episodes. So and anything they're really like that, good. They're heard, really good yeah, episodes. Be yeah. careful in Death Valley. Yeah. Just, well, why would you say be careful well, in Death Valley? Because it's called Death Valley. I know. Yeah, is there this, a specific I, reason? No, but also. <laughs> Do you know something, Mom? I thought you were talking about the elements, but maybe you mean Manson family, Matt? Because they are still. The haunt. Don't fall in the hole. That I know, yeah. Well, I'm up. looking for the hole. <laughs> <laughs> we're all still looking for the hole. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tom, thank you so much for joining Thanks us. Thanks for having me and yeah. your interest. This is fun. Yeah. And uh, for our Patreon subscribers, we'll be releasing our book club episode on chaos, so we'll be talking even more about it behind the paywall but good of reason as any to pick up the book and check it out if you want me to come back for a Q&A thing or something oh, yeah. when they're all done reading the book if they read it if they oh, get totally. to the if end if you have any yeah. questions for Tom you can uh, put them through us yes. <laughs> yeah. 24046night or nightcallpodcast at gmail.com and we'll pass them to Tom and hopefully have him back on the show thank you thanks nice. for having me you guys and thanks nice. for picking the book as a book club thing oh yeah absolutely of course 
Thank you for listening to Night Call. We'll be back again next week. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we are Night Call Pod on Twitter, Night Call Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Um, you can leave us a night call at 24046night or a night email at nightcallpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we would love if you would support our Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash night call. We have a lot of different tiers available and lots of different bonuses for our supporters. And thank you so much to everybody who's already supported the pod. We'll see you next week. Night Call is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Give yourself a delicious escape from the afternoon with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.